Welcome to Auto Moxie with FP Wellman. I am your host, Fred Wellman. I hope you're in the right place. If you're not, could be fun. You should stay. Never know. It's Friday night. So having said that, we've got another great show for you. I am so excited to have a guest. I've been trying to get on the show for a while. He's been harassing me. We finally got our schedules to work. I had, I, I hope you had a little great July 4th. I had a wonderful one. I was at my little town's hometown's July 4th parade yesterday, and the oddest thing popped up. There was about 20 people marching with signs that said Kennedy 2024. And my girlfriend and I looked at each other and said, Kennedy is like a is like a local guy running for Senate or state rep. Like, and we looked had to Google Kennedy 2024 and damned if it wasn't RFK Jr. had about 20 people in our small town in Missouri, the suburbs of St. Louis parade. And it really got me thinking about this idea of, uh, you know, these, these, these third party people. I was actually reading an article from The Atlantic on the way here. If you haven't seen it, there's an article in The Atlantic about how RFK Jr. doesn't actually have RFK Jr. voters. It's the tradition in Democratic politics of them. There's a segment of the Democratic Party that's always looking for somebody who's anti-establishment and his name is Kennedy. So, you know, it's traditional. But it really did make me think. And the timing was perfect because a poll came out from uh, Echelon Insights this week, their June poll. And, and we'll throw it up on screen. And what was it? And, and it. it they do these sometimes kind of be funny, but also it's eye-opening. If you look at it, what it says is Donald Trump in, in the national general election for 2024 in the three-way matchups. They have three versions. Taylor Swift as an independent. <laughs> okay. Taylor Swift will pull 7% of the vote. <laughs> okay. All right. Which is incredible. I mean, I'm not surprised with that because it's Taylor Swift. I mean, come on now. But look at the top of that poll real quick. Trump wins with 43%. And Biden loses with 41, plus two for Trump. Andy Cohen, by the way, Matt, I don't know if you know, Andy Cohen's from St. Louis. I don't know if you know that. He's a local boy. <laughs> Andy Cohen from TV, again, he gets 4%. Trump wins by two plus on that one, too, 44, 42. And finally, actually, a real independent that's actually running right now, the Green Party, Cornell West. Look at that. Cornell pulls 4%. Again, Donald Trump wins by one point. Get it? <laughs> Do you see what we're saying? You know, when my friends at the Lincoln Project go off about no labels and what no labels is doing and how these third party guys who want to try and, you know, do something, they really are acting to elect Donald Trump because Democrats are going to stay Democrat mostly. OK, but these disenchanted Republicans will go somewhere else. And so instead of voting for Joe Biden or staying home, they're going to vote for this third party and it hands the election to Donald Trump. And then the fine, the next one, because why do I say this? Because they also put out the general election where it's just a two way matchup, Biden versus Trump. And here you go. Biden, 45 to 44 for Trump this month. Biden, DeSantis, he got plus three. Biden, he beats him by tw three points. Get it? I mean, there's numbers that prove it. Now, as always, I say polls are meaningless because it's Jan or July. And we're still, I mean, primaries don't even start for like six months, I don't think. But I just say there are numbers that prove what so many of them are saying, that the no labels group, that the other groups are all trying to be, look, I get it. We're frustrated with the system. I, I, I get it. I'm frustrated with the system too. But we're in a fight for our country, and it's going to be a two-way fight. There's one party, you may disagree with their policies, but they actually believe in the Constitution, actually our democracy. There's another that don't, and that's the choice. Okay, so with that, I got a great show. We'll probably touch on this and a few other things. Let's get on with the show.
Welcome, welcome, welcome. Again, I mentioned I am still Fred Wellman, even though we had music in between. I didn't change. I didn't change clothes or anything. I think I got a stain in my shirt. Matt hates that. <laughs> We're here. I'm so glad you're here. I hope you had a wonderful day. I, I, as I mentioned, we had a great home, uh, Independence Day celebration, little town. Uh, I, you know, I, I had a great break. I hope you did, too. We're back at it today, though, and the world is as crazy as ever. There's a lot going on internationally. And, you know, we haven't talked about international affairs or national security or the perspective from a national security angle in quite a while. We've had some really great pundits and experts on the show, but we haven't had somebody who really knows your stuff. The best part is I get to welcome an old friend, a mentor, and a fellow 101st Airborne veteran, my friend, Lieutenant General Ben Hodges. The show, Ben, will be here. Ben's a retired Army Lieutenant General, the former Commanding General of U.S. Army Europe, which is a really big job for those who don't know. He's now a senior advisor to the Human Rights, Human Rights First, nonprofit, nonpartisan international human rights organization. He retired from the Army in 2018 and lives today. He's coming to us from Frankfurt, Germany, I believe, right? <laughs> That's correct. Man, Vance, good to see you. I really, man, I, I, was, I was thinking when we were getting ready for the show, I hadn't seen you. So for those, <laughs> poor then Colonel Hodges had to put up with Major Wellman in his sector in northern Iraq, okay? <laughs> and that meant me running around the sector causing a trouble, <laughs> right? You know, build, building schools and, and getting him into things he didn't want to do and, uh, and causing trouble. Of course, we had our... We also linked, you and I linked our friend Shake Rod together. I think we work with Shake Rod together. I, I saw an interview with you. You mentioned our friend Shake Rod, a uh, mm -hmm. uh, tragic loss to us. For those who have ever read anything I've written, uh, a gentleman named Shake Rod was one of our local shakes in Ben's sector in Iraq, uh, who had just, uh, I'll just gotta tell the story for you. I mean, it's off the show, but a heroic man uh, stepped up for us to secure the pipeline going through his sector and then stepped up again when things fell apart in 2004 after we left the country, actually defended his village. They put him in the army as a colonel in the Iraqi army, you know, and and for years the uh, the enemy tried to tried to finally take him out. And, and after I, I think after we both left Iraq for the last time, they finally got hold of Colonel uh, Sheikh Rod and took his life. But, uh, you know, fond memories of a dear man who looked just like Tom Selleck. <laughs> Matt, remind me to get a picture of Shake Rod for the show. But, you know, the last time I saw you, we hung out in the Pentagon, right, Ben? I think you were the, the deputy uh, chief. I was the deputy chief of congressional liaison for the Army, and uh, you were working in Army Public Affairs. And so, of course, LL and Public Affairs were always joined at the hip on all the – because we had the same issues. We were we yep. were dealing with those. and. Um, you know, that, that time we had together in Iraq uh, and then seeing you again in the Pentagon uh, brought back a lot of good memories. And obviously, I'm, I've been thrilled watching you on uh, on Twitter and, and all the stuff you're doing now. Uh, but having that uh, common thread of our service together as Screaming Eagles, uh, I'm, I have to say I'm very proud of you. Thank you. That, that means the world to me. Honestly, I appreciate it. So, you know, I want to start off there, you know, and and, and it's true. I, I can't imagine what ACPA, like that's the Office Chief of Public Affairs, we call it ACPA, and then Legislative, is dealing with right now. I did a bit this week, yesterday. It looks like Tommy Tuberville is now holding 260 general officer promotions on hold using his Senate privilege to stop unanimous consent votes. Uh, and that means since they went on vacation and General Berger from the Marine Corps retires here July 10th for the first time in a 164 years since the original commandant of the Marine Corps, Archibald Henderson, died in office in 1859, the United States Marine Corps will be without a confirmed commandant um, because of one senator being mad about abortion. And then for you, especially overseas in Europe, at the same time, Rand Paul sitting on, I think, 37 diplomatic nominations because he wants a release of uh, COVID, the, the, the origins of COVID from uh, um, the archives, if you will. I mean, 
he likes, Tuberfield likes to say that he's talked to generals and he, what he's doing is not a threat to national security. I wonder if you would agree or do I mean, is, is sitting on these promotions real? I mean, it's, I don't think a lot of our audience understands just how serious this is when this many people are backed up. Well, of course, um, the Senate has the responsibility for uh, confirmation of admirals and generals, ambassadors, the judges, these these yeah. sorts of things. And uh, Senator Tuberville from Alabama is is on the, uh, the Senate uh, Armed Services Committee, yep. which handles uh, the nominations for flag officers, just like Senator Paul in foreign relations handles nominations for ambassadors. Yep. Um, both sides have, have used this technique a lot over the years to, because it is leverage. I mean, yep. one Senator can hold things up um, and, and it's always frustrating, but it is, it is part of the checks and balances. It's part of the process. But I have never in my life, and I've served in Army Legislative Liaison three different times, wow. I've never seen it abused the way it is right now. I mean, uh, for five months now, Senator Tuberville has been holding up these uh, confirmations. This is not just about whether or not a general or an admiral gets to move into their quarters right. on time, although every one of these guys, men and women, have families, yeah. uh, and there are organizations, and there are, and of course, there's a whole chain of events that happen after a flag officer moves in or departs. You've got others that move. And I mean, it's, it's doesn't happen in a vacuum. Right. And so the efficiency as well as the effectiveness of various organizations, whether we're talking about, uh, air force, Navy, Marine Corps, or U S army, important positions, uh, on the joint staff, you name it, it, it all stops. And yeah. so, uh, when I hear him say that he's all for the troops, but well, you know he's not taking care of the troops here, and and I think um, it it causes people to lose confidence in the process. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's his it's his prerogative, and I doubt that other senators are going to say too much to him because they want to be able to make sure that I mean they may need to do that themselves one day. Right. Um, it's even more damaging, I think, when you have when you hold up confirmation of ambassadors. Yeah. Um, now, if you're not happy with a particular nominee. That's one thing. Have I mean, yeah. you know, the Constitution uh, does not allow the president just to pick whoever he wants. There is a confirmation process come from the Constitution uh, and duties of the of the Senate. Um, but when you when you can't get an ambassador to a country, number one, you're communicating to that country that they're not real right. high on the priority list. Right. Uh, there are authorities and things that ambassadors bring necessary to carry take care of America's strategic interests. That's, there's 39 different ambassadors waiting to be confirmed uh, in really important places. So, um, again, it's their prerogative, but I think uh, I, I don't have any patience for when they talk about their you know patriotism and for the troops, and yet they're stopping a process, not because they don't like a particular nominee, but it's something that's barely even related to their portfolio. Well, that's it. And, 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 and DOJ has already ruled that providing travel costs for those seeking um, either abortion or in vitro fertilization or whatever, any kind of, uh, of care like that is legal. 
I, how do I know? Because I had to have travel money paid because they didn't have a neurologist at Fort Rucker, now Fort Novacell, back when I was in flight school and I needed to see a neurologist. They had to send me to Fort, uh, Fort Benning <laughs> back then, you know, and they pay the travel pay, right? I mean, again, there is, there is frustration. If, if the healthcare is not available in the state they're stationed in, then we have to provide travel. It's, it's actually perfectly, it, it's- and that's, it, that's a great point. It, and, and I saw you uh, on Twitter yesterday uh, or a piece of your show where you yeah. were describing this. Yep. You know, the reason an American soldier is in Alabama or Texas or Georgia or where, or in Germany or Hawaii is because the government sent them there. Right. They're doing their duty. They were sent there. And so um, if they're sent there and they're not able to get the health care that they need to which they're entitled in that state, then the, the government has an obligation to help them go get it. So. Yep. Uh, this is really um, the more I think about it, the more frustrating it is. And um, I think, you know, the uh, the department will have to take a look at uh, how how can we uh, the mission still has to go on. Right. Right. You know, you still got to do the mission. So uh, this means taking more risks. You, um, you don't have uh, people with the right uh, sort of authorities. And uh, this this is uh, it undermines what the U.S. is trying to accomplish with its strategic interest. Well, that's it. And and you're living in Germany right now. You're watching all this insanity unfold here. I mean, with, not with just this, but, you know, all the politics with, with uh, and you work with a number of countries and organizations that I know. And I'd love you. I'd love to. I'm curious, what, what are people saying over there? I mean, you've, you've lived there for several years now, almost a bit of an expat in a lot of ways <laughs> since you retired, which is, I love it. I mean, what do you hear from our friends and our allies in Germany? They see the, I mean, I see comments all the time on my, on my Twitter and on my, on my comments on the YouTube videos here in my Dutch network about, you know, God, I'm from Australia. Why is your system so jacked up? <laughs> You know, I mean, it, I mean, do you hear, do you hear, have you seen, I mean, you, you served for a long time over there. You've been over there since you retired, right? 2018. Have, are you seeing some shock and is there dismay amongst our allies that we are a reasonable ally anymore when they see the inc incredible, ridiculous politics of the United States right now? Um, so, you know, yesterday uh, was the uh, 4th of July, Yep. Um, which is a normal day here in uh, yeah. Frankfurt, Germany. Yep. I was flooded with uh, emails and uh, WhatsApps uh, and text messages saying congratulations on you know your Independence Day. I mean, I got it from German friends, yep. Ukrainian friends, Polish friends, British friends, uh, all over Romanians, all over Europe. Yeah. Um, that despite um, you know America is still a work in progress. I mean, we've never said we were perfect. Never thought we were perfect. Recovered with warts, but yet it's still. Europeans have such high expectations of us. They still expect us to do things. And so um, they are dumbfounded when they see things like January the 6th right. um, or when they see the uh, um, people from my home state of Florida uh, waving swastika flags with swastikas on it. Um, and of course they absolutely cannot understand the gun violence. Um you know, Germany has lots of guns, but I mean, they're for hunters and you have to go through a, a, a very significant amount of tests in order to, to go hunt. So, um, they, they, that's difficult for them to understand that aspect. And yeah. then the, uh, the racism that they see. And again, none of these European countries is perfect. They, right. they all have their own issues, but they do have a higher expectation of the United States and, and it's hard for them to understand. 
Yeah. And I'll segue to that. I mean, you're working with Human Rights First now. It's a great organization, by the way. I'm thrilled you're there. And you're from Florida, as you mentioned. And I've seen um, I've seen you comment on the slide towards essentially authoritarianism in, in the state. Uh, but, you know, it, it's which strikes me a lot about a lot of things that DeSantis has done and his allies. And now you know, Rick Scott had that bizarre video about socialists and communists coming to Florida. I mean, a lot of it seems like it's the inhumanity of it, right? I mean, this new law where they've tightened up on immigrant labor and now so immigrants are fleeing the state and, and thus hurting their own agriculture industry. I it's for me, it feels, and I wonder for you as your perspective from Human Rights First is it's an othering and dehumanization uh, that has present the world, frankly, has precedent where you live now, right? That this othering of certain members of a population, be it LGBTQ, be it immigrant labor, that othering leads to bad things. I mean, what's your perspective? I mean, how dangerous is this? And 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 and, and what are you guys seeing? So uh, my wife is German American, ah. and uh, she saw the clip of uh, Governor DeSantis when he was down on the Texas border. Yeah, and uh, and he said. Um, uh, when I'm president, uh, we're going to, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically yep. I'm going to authorize, uh, people to shoot any illegal trying to cut his way through the fence. And my wife immediately said, Oh, like in East Germany. I mean, that was her first thought. And, uh, <laughs> yep. and, and she, and she, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to it and I thought, well, that's, that's incredible. Right. What, I mean, how how could a person that wants to be that is a governor of one of the biggest states in the country yeah. and wants to be president? And by the way, a former officer, Navy uh, legal officer himself, a, legal, a lawyer, right? A Navy legal lawyer, um, a Navy lawyer, and and that's and that's the basis for authorizing the use of deadly force. Um, I mean, that that right there is a bizarre uh, misappropriation of state. Um, authorized use of violence. There you go. Number one. Number two, I immediately thought, boy, I would, what about the, uh, the border guard or the national guardsman who happens to be there? You know, the rules of engagement that uh, would have to be laid out. And how do you explain to somebody? Yes, you can shoot anybody that's trying to come over the fence. I I don't think that's who we are. And uh, I'm, I'm concerned how the language has become, um, so militarized when they talk about invasions. And so when you, when you, when you talk about invasion and you talk about authorizing to shoot people trying to get through the fence, um, that leads to, I think, a coarsening of behavior, um, and, and how we treat people. Uh, and so that, that really concerned me. And then I saw, uh, our Senator and former governor, uh, Rick Scott, um, on his video saying, you know, socialists and communists are not welcome in the state of Florida. <laughs> well, okay. First of all, that I don't think that works in America right. Um, right. to, to rule out entire groups. You're not welcome here yeah. for, um, political, for politics, but also how are you, I mean, how are you going to identify that? <laughs> um, who, who's deciding who's picking. And then, you know, if he was the uh, local chairman of the uh, XYZ gun club or something, I, I wouldn't, pay attention to it. But when you're the former governor, now a senator from the state of Florida saying stuff like that. Uh, and then I see pictures of Floridians carrying Nazi flags. Um, I really am worried about um, what's happening in my state. I mean, these are absolute 100% fascist uh, tendencies yep. and actions 
And uh, and yet these will be the same guys out there waving, having hundred American flags in their yard and talking yep. about patriotism and all that. And I, I, I don't buy it. Well, yeah, Tom Nichols did a great piece, former guest of the show, had a great piece in uh, The Atlantic yesterday to talk about patriotism and nationalism, right? And a lot of those people waving that flag are nationalist. And that's not the same thing as being a patriot, you know? Right. So. Exactly. In fact, you know, um, a real patriot is somebody that uh, understands what our values are and is willing to defend those values no matter how uh, difficult or unpopular it may be. I mean, that you understand what our country is all about and why, why millions of people risk their life trying to get here um, because of what it, what it represents. Now, look, uh, I'm not an immigration expert, but it's clear that we have got to uh, figure out immigration policy. And the president has been asking for this. Yep. Um, America needs labor. You know, state of Florida depends on tens right. of thousands, hundreds of thousands, actually, right. for agriculture, uh, tourism. Uh, we need labor. Yep. Uh, you know, of course, that the military, doesn't. there's not enough people in America to fill the ranks of all our formations. And so you've got to expand the population. There's not enough population in the United States to meet all the requirements for industry, business, uh, as well as our security. Yep. Um, and so how do you, how do you facilitate things to get talent in here so that people are willing to go through the process versus, uh, finding illegal, uh, ways. And there's no doubt. I mean, I've got friends that live in Texas and California and Florida. They say, man, you've been gone too long. You don't know what it's like here. Of course, there are people that are, uh, drug smuggling or doing different things. That's gotta be stopped. So a combination of defending our sovereignty, but fast tracking the talented women and men that we do want and need. Yeah. And I think it's probably a great place to take a break for our first sponsor break. But but you're right. It, it is. It, 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 we can't bucket them all. And 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 that goes from being like the difference between an immigrant and a drug smuggler, the immigrant, violent, you know, a smuggler, a terrorist, who knows. But when you bundle them all, now you cross a line to othering and endangering lives just of pure racism and bigotry. So with that, let's take a break with our first break with some great sponsors. Nowadays, when I drink alcohol, I don't bounce back the next day like I used to. So a lot of the time, I'll be the only person in the group not drinking, or I just end up skipping plans of friends altogether. That is until I discovered Z-Biotics. Now, Z-Biotics Pre-Alcohol Probiotic is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. So here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Z-Biotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. It's designed to work like your liver, but in your gut where you need it most. Now, just remember to drink Z-Biotics before drinking alcohol, drink responsibly, and then get a good night's sleep to feel your best tomorrow. The first time I tried Z-Biotics was I was heading out to a night out and a great concert all night long. As instructed, I drank a bottle of Z-Biotics before any alcohol, and I was amazed at how good I felt the next day. Every time I have a Z-Biotics before drinking, it makes such a difference the next day. I mean, even after nice uh, drinks the night before, I, I know I'll be able to get back to my daily routine. You know, like you guys know about my three-mile daily walk or, you know, just hit my garden with ease. Give Z-Biotics a try for yourself. Go to zbiotics.com slash Fred to get 15% off your first order when you use code Fred at checkout. Z-Biotics is back with a 100% money-back guarantee. So 
If you're not satisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, it's simple. Just head to zbiotics.com slash Fred. Use the code FRED at checkout for 15% off. And I got to say, thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring our great episode. Do you know your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold like I do often, I really recommend you try out Miracle Made Sheets. Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver-infused fabrics and made temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep the perfect temperature all night long. Now, that silver-infused fabric means that Miracle Made Sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long so you get a better night's sleep. And I can tell you, honestly, I have. Now, the silver fusion technology also adds an extra benefit. It means the sheets prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them cleaner and fresher three times longer than normal sheets. There's no more gross odors from your sheets. You don't have to worry about any problems with bacteria. They just last longer. Now, I've been sleeping with these sheets, and they're seriously comfortable without a high price tag of other luxury brands. And they feel as nice, if not nicer, than the bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. Stop sleeping on bacteria. <laughs> bacteria clogs your pores, causes breakouts and acne, a whole bunch of problems. Sleep better, sleep clean with Miracle. Now, go try Miracle.com slash Fred. That's go to trymiracle.com slash Fred to try Miracle Made Sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use that promo code FRED at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle Made is so confident in their product, it's back with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Now, upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash Fred and use the code FRED to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40%. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash Fred. Treat yourself. I love the products. I've been using them myself and sleeping like a baby. We're back. Man, I can't thank our sponsors enough. We're so fortunate. Uh, this this show does uh, cost money to produce. Matt back there has to get paid somehow. And uh, I, I bring a McDonald's. It's not good enough. I don't know why he wants more than that. <laughs> but having said that, actually, I don't bring a McDonald's. I sure I should. Anyway, donut. I have brought you donuts. Anyway, <laughs> so, you know, that's a great it, it's talk, talk about President Biden. And, and something I've said on this show a few times is and, and, and this kind of segues to your work here in Europe is, you know, I, I, I'm known to beat up on President Biden. Right. I, there, people like to drag up tweets where I kind of beat up on the administration a little bit and all. And one of the things I kind of drag President Biden a lot for is his old senator ways. Right. That he's an old school senator, which means, you know, it was my, my colleague type stuff. He, my, my colleagues across the aisle, you know, building consensus, doing it as a group. You know, old time senators didn't do things individually like today, like Rand Paul and Tommy Tuberville. They built consensus. They got a group up. They went. And then Ukraine happened. Right. And, you know, Russia uh, uh, illegally invaded and is, is creating, is murdering tens of thousands, uh, commuting millions of war crimes and, and human rights violations. And then Biden went into action and energized, built, you know, re-energized NATO, coordinated a coalition in, in Europe that's, that's standing fast still today, not without, not, not perfection. We're getting ready for the Vilnius Summit. Uh, for those who don't know, NATO is meeting here uh, next week. Um, how do you? How, what's your perspective on that? I mean, you're on, you're on the front lines there. You're, you're in Europe, seeing how it's being orchestrated. On your end is is the president and the administration doing? I mean, it seems like they're doing a great job of bringing out these disparate disparate groups. I mean, hell, NATO's growing for God's sake. I mean, what's your perspective on that? Am I right or wrong? Am I off? Don't be afraid to tell me I'm wrong. Um, I think that the president deserves great credit for keeping the 50 nations together uh, in in support of Ukraine. 
I mean, that's that's been remarkable. Yeah. Uh, what he and Secretary Blinken and Secretary Austin have done, uh, it really is that, you know, the Kremlin never, ever dreamed that that this would happen. Yeah. Uh, that was part of their job. Right? Yeah, that, that we would fall apart. So right? I think the administration deserves great credit for that. However, um, where they have fallen short is uh, they have not yet described or clarified what is America's desired strategic outcome for Ukraine. What what are we trying to accomplish? I mean, when I hear the president say, we're with you for as long as it takes, that's an absolutely empty statement. It means nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's a feel good statement, but in terms of strategic, that's not an end state. And so because the administration has not yet come up with an end state, then we keep having incremental decision-making about, oh, well, should we provide Javelin? Should we provide Stinger? Should we provide Abrams? Should we provide High Mars? F-16s, you name it, right? We're still waiting on F-16s and and ATECMs, the 300-kilometer range precision weapon, which would make such a significant impact, literally and figuratively, uh, on behalf of Ukraine. And, And so... You know, the, I think the first responsibility of our elected civilian leadership is to lay out, here's our strategic interest, and here's our objective. Yep. And, and, and so because they don't do that, you know, Secretary Austin did it. He said it once back in the beginning, and then he got crushed, I think, because he never said it again. He said, we want Ukraine to win, and we're going to hurt Russia so bad that they can never attack anybody again. Those words were never spoken after that, uh, and I'm sure it's because the administration said that's not that's not what we're about. Um, and so, when I in the absence of a clear definition of our strategic desired strategic outcome, um, I look at the actions and inactions. And in my view, the three main objectives of the administration are: Ukraine does not lose whatever that means. Right. Okay. Uh, Russian Federation does not collapse. So they can't be defeated. And no, no world war three. I mean, those are the kind of the three things. Yeah. All right. But the problem is that means that Russia probably gets to hang on to Crimea and other parts of Ukraine that it has taken illegally. Yeah. Which means that we're going to be doing, you and I'll be having the same conversation two years from now, and that Ukraine will never be able to rebuild their economy as long as Russia occupies Crimea. So the administration has the responsibility. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, other countries look up to the United States. I mean, if the U.S. is not willing to say, you know, we, we want Ukraine to win, then there's going to be quite a few other countries that will sort of hide behind that. And uh, I think China is watching this very closely. And when they see that we're not really that serious to, to stand up for all the values we say we care about, the so-called international rules-based order, yeah. human rights, freedom of navigation, respect for international law, things that are very important to us as a nation of exporters, yeah. okay, then the Chinese are not going to be terribly impressed with anything we say about Taiwan or the South China Sea. Yeah. Wow. And that's the thing. It's, it is. Uh, I actually was talking to a friend about this over the weekend. I said, my, my concern is, and this, by the way, goes to domestic politics too, but also international affairs in this case is, is too often we get into a habit of, of, of fighting not to lose. 
and yeah. instead of to win, right? I mean, let's be honest be, between us guys who were there, right? Afghanistan and Iraq. I mean, a lot of times it seemed like our strategy was just not to lose Afghanistan, but we never defined what winning was, right? <laughs> you know, and so, I mean, whenever people tell me, oh, you know, we surrendered Afghanistan and left, I'm like, okay, what, what was the, tell me what winning looked like. And yeah, it, so 20 years in Afghanistan, there never was a clear objective except in the first year, right. which was, Make sure Afghanistan cannot be a base for future terrorist attacks on the United States or our allies. We should have left after that first year when we ran off Al Qaeda and the Taliban. Instead, we stayed for another 19 years and kept, you know, all these different projects, but there never was a clear definition. So the blame is not the fact that President Biden was the last one there. The, The blame goes across from Bush, Obama, Trump. Biden and everybody, uh, you know, and all the different Congresses that were there. Um, I think it was a huge mistake not to require the American people to pay a tax for these wars because most people were not affected by it. Unless you had a family member or you lived next to four or whatever, it, it didn't affect you. And so there was no domestic pressure on the administration to fix it. And that that's a great place to, because... I'm a you're you're a military family member. I'm a military family member. I have I have currently a son who's uh, uh, my son-in-law is a, is a senior NCO in the National Guard in Virginia. My son is a, a he, you're not gonna believe this. He went the 82nd and <laughs> I, I, you know you get in the 101st, right? <laughs> I tried to get in the 101st and he ended up in the 82nd, jumping out of airplanes. It was really embarrassing. I, I'm still proud of him. And <laughs> you know, so he went the 82nd. But again, my son's a veteran for God's sake. He served enough time to be a veteran. I'm the father of a veteran at this point. Uh, my you and I, of course, we went in in OIF, you know, OIF in 2003. Uh, you went in day one. I was right behind you in day two. My son-in-law was day two, day minus two, leaving. Right, a multi generational war, um, and 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 so I say often that we 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 spent too much time um, turning our families into the, the military family train is hell. My family, I, I Wellman has served in nearly every America war since before there was an America. We had a guy impressed in the British Army for the French and Indian War when they marched through his village. I mean, we we've been doing this shit forever, right? And and now Ben Kessling, who if you know, I know you know Ben. I'm, I'm sure you know Ben with Wall Street Journal. Ben came with an article this week, this, this past week, said that the military's recruiting problems, like everything in this country, have become political. Obviously, the right almost says wokeness, but it's actually nothing to do with that. We've got a great economy. I mean, you see the memes about how a manager at Chick Fil A makes more than a soldier, but. What they really found is that military families are saying, hold the phone. You know, they're, they're, we're not encouraging our kids to go in the military anymore, which was the, a big source for military members. Because of something what you just said, I think going back 20 years in Afghanistan, you know, 19 or 18 years in, you know, in, in Iraq, the toll that's been taken, the suicide rate, the, the housing still not getting better. I mean, I mean, what's this? I mean, how dangerous is this? I mean, you you served your lifetime, your adult lifetime in the military, military academy grad like me. I mean, what Ben identified, I think a lot of us been saying that. Um, but to hear to see it written and some facts behind it was sort of shocking to me, at least. So it is very worse. I mean, I know that all the service chiefs uh, are, are working hard and the service secretaries try and figure out. Um, how do you how do you address this? Yeah, and it is traditionally a problem uh, for the for recruiting when the economy is going gangbusters. It's right. always been that way. Same way. Uh, I I remember when I was a lieutenant, and uh, economy was not so good in the early '80s, and uh, the army started uh, offering education benefits, and man, oh man, uh, all kinds of great kids. Uh, Middle class came flooding into the army yeah. because they were going to get like two years of college yeah. as as one of the recruiting incentives. I 
I mean, it was a terrific incentive way back then. Yeah. Um, now, even even education incentives are not enough to to bring people in. Part of the problem, I think, is that um, we uh, it's like it, it's the military's problem. Right. Uh, you guys solve your recruiting problem. Well, wait a second. No, this is this every senator, every congressman, the president, every governor should all be talking about the merits of national service. Yeah. Uh, so it's influencers. I joined the army. Uh, I decided to go into the army because my father had been a private, had such a uh, life changing experience, you know, and every male in my family had served as draftees or volunteered for the war or whatever. I had one uncle who was a career uh, non-commissioned officer in the Coast Guard. Mm. And so it was like, okay, that's all the people I cared about. Yep. They, there was an expectation you go do something and it's a good thing, uh, not a lifetime decision. I happened to really like it. And uh, so I stayed. So the influencers out there, um, public leaders, teachers, coaches, you know, that's, that's how we fix uh, recruiting is uh, influencers need to say, you know what, this is a great opportunity. Now I do think uh, we also have a problem that I know that article talked about um, about 70% of the women and men in that 18 to 25 bracket do not meet the basic requirements standards to be a private in the U.S. military. Yep. I mean, they're either physical, physical fitness test scores, or they've got some legal problem. Yep. So, so we're all competing over the same narrow sliver of American society. And uh, so that points to a larger problem in our country. Why, why are, why are the vast majority of young people in that age bracket um, not physically fit or uh, able to pass tests or have a legal problem. Yep. Yep. It, it, it goes to education. It always amazed me how in many ways the military, our service, and I've said this for years, is in many ways a, a canary in a coal mine or also just a perfect uh, microcosm of our larger society issues. I think they taught us at West Point Military Science 101. I remember one of the first things, that, one of the few things I remember from my West Point education is the military is a, the volunteer military is a reflection of this Direct reflection of the society it represents. Is that right? I think <laughs> I'm sure there's a there, you know there's a, there, you probably know the person who wrote that. But that's the thing. We are America. I mean, the, the military, those right. people who serve, they're we not want, separate. We people. want to be America, by right. the way. We, right. That's the we, whole point. We don't want to be this separate little. No. That's uh, bad I, for everybody. I, I, if we are. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's probably a great place to take a second break. Uh, we have another short break for a sponsor, and we'll do that. Cold turkey may be great on sandwiches, but there's a better way to break your bad habits. And I'm not talking about some weird mind voodoo or a wacky message board. No, we're talking about our sponsor, Fume, and they look at the problem in a different way. Now, not everything in a bad habit is bad. So instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-numbered device that does just that. Instead of an electronics, Fume is completely natural. Instead of vapor, fume uses flavored air. And instead of chemicals, fume uses all natural, delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. Your fume comes in an adjustable airflow dial and is designed with movable parts and magnets for fidgeting, giving your fingers a lot to do, which is helpful for de-stressing anxiety while breaking your bad habit. The first time I used fume, I was shocked at how flavorful and fresh it tasted. It's easy to hold and perfectly balanced and quite honestly, extremely fun to fidget with. 
The real wood material and sleek design definitely classes it up, and I feel pretty cool holding it. Stopping is something we all put off because it's hard, but switching to fume is easy, enjoyable, and honestly, even fun. Fume has served over 100,000 customers and has thousands of success stories. There's no reason that can't be you. So join Fume in accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the Journey Pack today. Now, head to tryfume.com and use code FRED to save 10% when you get the Journey Pack today. That's tryfum.com and use code FRED to save an additional 10% off your order today. Okay, that's a great place. So let's go back to Europe. Um, uh, you know, a lot of us watched the <laughs> the Wagner escapades last week. I mean, it was quite the news here. It broke out, uh, and then it's melted. And I've said, you know, I'm a you remember I'm a PAO. I'm a communicator guy. You're a general. Uh, you're a former general, a strategist. I mean, I, we know it's kind of dissipated. That the fallout's just starting. I think um, both on the battlefield, where now Wagner troops are being turned into soldiers, or maybe not. Who knows? Wagner, of course, is in many, many terrible places, doing very many terrible things. Uh, Pergozin's in Belarus now, or something like that. Uh, but what was interesting to me as a as a political strategist is, you know. Tr- Putin had to do some, you know, he had to go up public to stop this. He had to, he had to make, some, he also had to make some uh, capitulations, if you will, allowing Pergozin to walk away alive, right? I mean, what do you think, what's happening in Russia and what does it mean for all of us that we're watching this from afar? I mean, it seems like a very serious moment for Putin, possibly the most serious he's faced in his entire career. You're exactly right. It is. Um, you know, people uh, have been worried like, oh my God, if, we, if Putin gets backed into a corner, what will he do? He right. might use a nuclear weapon or something. Well, we saw what he does when he gets backed into a nuclear weapon. He immediately uh, wilted and had to make a deal. Had to, Lukashenko had to come in and bail him out and made a deal with the guy who led the mutiny. Of all people. Uh, which yeah. is incredible. Now, Wagner, of course, uh, Prigozhin is going to lose uh, billions of dollars of business. But in the old days, he would have been dead and his body thrown in the street. Right. So um, I think... Uh, Putin is very concerned right now. I'm reading, I was reading earlier today, there are some purges that are going on. Um, uh, They're they're looking around for generals and uh, colonels and others who should have done done something to stop Prigozhin, but didn't. You know, the most senior guy, Sarovikin, is in jail right now, detained for uh, questioning. So I don't think he has a bright future. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nor uh, and his his deputy, his number two guy, is yeah. in there with him. Um, the the Wagner troops, whatever you, the mercenaries. Uh, of course, I never trust a number that comes out of Russia, but the numbers of how many there were, I've heard everywhere from 5,000 to 50,000, but 25,000 seems to be about the number. Um, I doubt any of them, or certainly not many of them, will go into the Army. I mean, they, you, they know what waits for them if they're in the Army. The Army traditionally hates mercenaries, yeah. it hates Chechens, and it hates the FSB, the Intelligence Service. So these guys are either going to go to Belarus or they're going to go home or they're going to melt away somewhere. So that means the Russian general staff has got to make good a loss of about twenty or 25,000 soldiers that uh, – you know, at least had some experience in training and 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 had been fighting. That that will be hard hard to make up. Yeah. Uh, what I don't know is how significant the impact will be on the chain of command. Now. Yeah. You know what? I, I I'm not. I can't tell yet who's still there. 
Wow. I mean, it's 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 a shocking uh, turn of events and a good time. I mean, Ukraine just launched their counteroffensive. It's there's been a lot of criticism of the speed of it all. I mean, but they're they're moving forward. I know you're talking to uh, your counterparts in Ukraine. I mean, I mean, how are they doing? I mean, is is there hope on the horizon? I mean, are I know you've been very I love how you're very you're you're, you're right out there saying they're going to take Crimea. It's <laughs> you know, you you're you're very you're very gung-ho and very supportive of the Ukrainians. You know, I'm friends with Alexander Vindman. Alex is on the show, gosh, what Matt, 8 months ago now. I think it was actually our first show of this new season and was Alex right here on the uh, in studio with us uh, before we joined the Touch Network. You know, I think he's been over there recently, as a matter of fact. I mean, what's your yeah. feeling? What's your gut feeling as, as, as a man who commanded U.S. Army Europe? What are you seeing on the ground? And, and, and what should our viewers know about what's happening? So uh, three things. First of all, I absolutely am uh, bullish on uh, on Ukraine that they are, they are going to win this war. Uh, you know, we know from history that war is a test of will. And it's a test of logistics. Yeah. And clearly the Ukrainian soldiers who are defending their country have far superior will to the Russian troops who don't want to be there. Yeah. Uh, so that that part is obvious. And same with the population. The test of logistics is getting better and better in favor of the uh, Ukrainian side. Ukrainians are continue to, continuing to whittle away Russian logistics, um, which was never very strong to begin yeah. with, although yeah. they had seemingly endless amounts of artillery ammunition, but a logistical system, they don't have one that was designed for what they're having to do right now. So the Ukrainians are making them pay a price by going after headquarters and ammunition storage sites, that sort of thing. Um, I think that the, of, of course, the Ukrainians are suffering casualties when you're attacking into minefields and trenches and, and, and all of that. But I think everyone should be patient and keep in mind Number one, we're not entitled to know what's going on. Right. You know, we got a little spoiled watching drones drop hand grenades down into trenches and thought, okay, this is going to be like watching a movie. Yeah. It's obviously not. Um, the, the, the company commander or the sergeant that's in that trench is not sending back reports for TV. So the reporting, the, what we do eventually see in here is usually four or five days old. And also, I, I think great credit to uh, General Zaluzhny and his staff, the general staff of Ukraine. They are masters of what we would call OPSEC, operational yeah. security. Yep. They protect information uh, better than anybody I have ever seen. So yeah. we, we don't know. But I think that uh, everybody should keep in mind that uh, most of the Ukrainian brigades are not even in the fight yet. So it's still leading two, three brigades that are, as was described yesterday by the British chief of the defense staff, their equivalent to Chairman Milley. It he described the Ukrainian offensive as starve, stretch, and strike. And I think that's actually pretty good. Starve hmm. because Ukrainians are going after logistics, Russian logistics. Yep. Stretch by forcing the Russians to have to defend along a very long front yeah. because they're not sure where the Ukrainians are coming. And then they'll strike when they've got the right place. So what today is the 5th of July. Give me a break. Just started. Yeah. Just the mud just dried up, if I remember correctly. <laughs> you know, so, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they did, we saw what they did last time. I and mean, they're very good. They're also very good at deception. Um, yeah. They're very good at making them think they are where they are. And I think that's important, too. And that, and you're right. That's I do tell a lot of my civilian friends, like, you understand, we, we, we're not supposed to know. Um, if we know, that means the Russians know. And uh, exactly. and I do think with Wagner leaving the lines and Bakhmut and everywhere else, I think that opens up some really interesting moments, too. So so it certainly is a community. It's going to be an interesting summer, I think, is, is probably the best way to describe it. 
the key to a victory this year, and this is, you know, you're right. I mean, I said that Ukraine could liberate Crimea, yeah. which is the decisive terrain. Yep. They can liberate Crimea by the end of this summer, by the end of August. Yeah. But I always put a gigantic caveat if the United States gives them what they need which is, of course, the long-range precision weapons. If the Ukrainians had the ATACMs now, Crimea would already be untenable for the Russian Air Force and Navy. The Black Sea Fleet would have had to have left Sevastopol already. The Russian Air Force could not be operating out of Crimea. We have, in effect, because of our policy decision, we have, in effect, given the Russians safe haven in Crimea, Mm. which is Ukrainian sovereign territory. So... um, I, I hope next week at Vilnius, we're going to hear some better news about what we are going to provide. I yeah. think we're going to hear a decision by the administration to give the dual purpose, improved conventional munition, the DPICM yeah. artillery round to Ukrainians. We have millions of them. Um, I think this will be a very good uh, capability. Yeah. But the one I'm really holding out for is the ATACMs. And also, come on, what are we waiting for on training Ukrainians to fly F-16s? Yeah. Yep. Well, and and you bring up and the last point, and I'll let you go, is, you know, you're going to laugh. I was on a boat last week up in Minnesota. I can't make this up. And the gentleman next to me, a local guy, was like, well, I heard they had to sit down Zelensky. This is the right-wing machine or the uh, propaganda machine. I heard, I heard DOD had a meeting with Zelensky to tell him to stop skimming so much off the money we're giving them uh, so that they can give it to the troops. And I looked at him. And the conversation ended probably because the look I gave him, but I said shortly, like, we're not giving them cash, you jackass. <laughs> you know, um, I, I mean, that, that's they're getting equipment, right? I mean, no, Zelensky can't embezzle a tank. I mean, I, it's funny how the right wing propaganda machine has twisted this crap, right? So um, you can be sure that the women and men that work in the uh, Office of Defense Cooperation uh, at the U.S. Embassy in Kiev, they are spending all of their waking hours doing accountability of every pallet of whatever is delivered. Now they did this when we first started getting serious about helping Ukraine back in 2014, I was still commander of U S army Europe and uh, the ambassador was zeroed in on this, making sure that we did not repeat the mistakes we made in Iraq and Afghanistan of <laughs> losing control of all the stuff that was being provided. That so was my command, that was my command, Ben, remember been sticky throwing, throwing AK 47s out the back of Chinooks. Yeah, I had to to uh, explain that. It's the opposite of that happening in Ukraine. I mean, uh, I remember asking, uh, talking to a Ukrainian commander, I said, hey, um, I know that we've uh, provided the uh, first aid kits, the ones that we use, which are phenomenal. Right. Uh, Where are they at? And and what I've discovered that a lot of times commanders were locking these things up because they were so concerned about losing accountability of even individual first aid kits. Uh, or when the javelins were finally provided, I said, Where, how come we don't have javelins out? I said, oh, no, they're all locked up because they don't want any pilferage. They don't want any of these things to walk away. So in other words, the supervision from us is so tight yeah. to make sure that not only that the taxpayers are protected, but more importantly, candidly, in this case, the Ukrainian military is getting everything that's being provided. That's a great place to to wrap this conversation with somebody who knows what he's talking about. Man, I I can't thank you enough for for joining us and explaining a lot of this. I know that the Midas Mighty, our our, our audience and our, our listeners, really appreciate the update. So, 
Uh, thank you. And will you be at Vilnius next week? Or are you going to be? Uh, no, I will not. I will. Uh, it cannot be there next week. I'm getting ready to come back to the States actually for a few weeks, kind of a mix of work and holiday. But Fred, I don't, I don't think all your listeners know about you and what you did in Iraq, uh, what your brigade did in Iraq and um, typical U S army, uh, a U.S. service member seeing work that needed to be done, even though it was not in your original job description yet, but you went out and did it and you were uh, innovative and creative, uh, helping to ensure that the uh, villages and the towns in our area um, were getting attention, uh, for our, which improved our security. I mean, this was about trying to help reestablish um, some sort of governance in a country that had been ruled by Saddam Hussein for two decades. And, and there you were um, out there figuring out how to do it, working with individuals. You mentioned Sheikh Rod, and I know you lost other friends uh, and uh, Iraqis that were brave enough to try and do that. And, I, and of course, you would not have been riding around in a convoy of a bunch of armored vehicles. You were typically out there, you and one or two other people, uh, <laughs> doing stuff that you did not want your parents to know about, that's for sure, because yeah. it was not safe. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, w- I want all your listeners to know that, that that's who you are. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was a, a no mission. And again, I'll, I'll flip it back on you. The support you gave me when I wandered into your... Uh, so I understand the layout for those who understand the military. Uh, General Hodges owned the territory that I was working in. As, I was an aviator, actually. So while we were helping civilian villages, his infantrymen, his brave soldiers, uh, were the ones providing security and you know, checkpoints and clearing out the bomb. And, and But so I would actually check in with him and walk into his walk into his uh, his headquarters and find him sitting in a chair. And I can't believe how many conversations started with you turning around your chair and like fucking well man <laughs> you know, what did you do now <laughs> hey funny story sir <laughs> this this thing happened you know? <laughs> and uh, and i tell the story often how we had to go do an air assault i'll let you go because uh, my poor listeners we had to do an air assault somewhere else in the country and i, I went to colonel hodges at the time said hey i'm going to be out of town we're getting, one of my villages i'm supposed to visit him can you go visit the village and and i left i flew our mission and came back and i went to check in with you and you turned around your chair like you, you had a little swivel chair you sat in your t- <laughs> and you turned around and said oh Major Wellman, you know, I, I I rolled up your village with my convoy of troops and armored vehicles, and I pulled up, and the Sheikh came out in his robes, and I got out, you know, Colonel Hodges, the commander of the sector, and I said, I'm here to meet with you, and he he bent sideways and said, where's Major Wellman? <laughs> and, and I was like, well, you know, I'm kind of a big deal, sir. <laughs> and uh, so I appreciate the support you gave to a crazy army major who knew nothing about tribes or Arab or anything and was running on your sector uh, trying to build schools and clinics and, and help people. So that meant the world to me as well. So I think we made a difference. You know, I tell the story often. People say, oh, the war was the lead, whatever. Look, we, those of us were there, especially you, we had a mission and we had a mission to make it a better place than we started with. And I think that's what we were able to do. The times we served was that the people we touched and the lives we were able to help uh, are still there. I, I talked to my villages. I talked to Dr. Mahomet's village this day. So anyway, well, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. And uh, good luck. Have a good night. I guess it's late there. Get some sleep and uh, good luck. We'll keep up the fight together. Thanks, Fred. Oh, man, what a great conversation. Uh, you know, it's good to catch up with some you served with. Uh, I, I joke about uh, then Colonel Hodges all the time. He, uh, I, I do, I, I, I joke about his patience with me. But you guys, have, if you've watched the show before, or listened to the show, or seen any of my videos, you know that I, I, I know this is weird. I might be difficult to work with sometimes. <laughs> and uh, and uh, then Colonel Hodges, later General Hodges, was always 
uh, you can see how he is, just easy going, and he would patiently explain to me why I was wrong, and, and then try to find a way to help me out. So uh, a great American, he's still serving his country and, his, and the world uh, with, with what he's doing today. So thanks for joining us. Man, I, was, uh, I, I, I hope you had a great holiday weekend. I had a great one. You know, we had our first uh, launch uh, of the Forgotten Democrats movement. I, you've heard me mention it a couple times. I'm really proud of what we're building at Forgotten Democrats. We had a great number of people show up for our first Zoom. We'll be doing those every month. Uh, it's not just where I send you, you know, I send you emails and you send me money. We're we're actually building a community, which is why I'm part of it. It's not just you know your typical super PAC or doing anti-MAGA ads. I don't think we're doing any ads. Our mission is to try and help those Democrat nominees for Congress who have never been funded. 149 congressional races last cycle, never had the money to compete. 23 of those were unopposed completely, Republicans unopposed. It's time to stop that. We do that by building a community together now, by investing in our monthly, you know, just a little bit a month, a pizza a month towards helping those candidates. They'll get the money themselves. They'll get the money directly to help them power their campaigns, be more competitive, more efficient and, and more effective. And so so if I'd love you to join Forgotten Democrats, it's the easy way to sign up for our email. You simply text Fred to 33777-33777. Look on the screen. It's it's that easy. You'll get a text message. You'll sign up for our email. If you want to learn more, go to ForgottenDemocrats.org. You can sign up right there and, and, and learn more about what we're trying to build. I'm very proud to be a part of that movement. I hope you join us. In the meantime, the show is growing. You can find me at FP Wellman on Twitter. I'm still there in spite of Elon's best efforts to get me off there. I'm still on Twitter at FP Wellman. Our Instagram's blowing up. FP Wellman official. Uh, of course, the podcast on Democracy Pod. And of course, Midas Touch Network. If you're not following, if you're not subscribed on the Midas Touch Network, I hope you will subscribe on the Midas Touch Network. I hope you'll subscribe to all the Midas Touch channels. They've got an incredible group of creators that I'm so proud to be part of. Um, some brilliant minds, some really smart, funny people um, doing some great analysis and the fastest growing news network there is. But 1.37 million subscribers. Last time I checked, it's an incredible number. It just keeps growing. I'd love you to be part of that movement. If you can join us, in the meantime, download the show, leave a review, uh, uh, share it with your friends. The algorithm is good to us. Our, 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 more people are downloading the audio podcast than ever before. It's wonderful. It helps us be found if you tell say tell your friends or write a little five-star review and say how much you enjoy the show. It would mean the world to me if you would. And again, as I always say, make sure you leave a comment in the videos, both on our channel and on my Midas Touch channel. I do go through the comments on all the hot takes that we do. We've got like three hot takes out this week. Um, I love hearing your feedback and uh, and I hope I hope you'll join the conversation. In the meantime, we're coming to you from Half Coast Studios. Our friends at Vi Media, the owners, they are Vi.media. They are a terrific digital marketing agency, your friend for marketing here in St. Louis and nationally. That's Vie.media. In the meantime, I hope to check out our sponsors. We have terrific sponsors on the show. Um, I, I have sponsors. I know some people actually kind of message me like, oh, why do you have sponsors? Why are there commercials? Because that's how we're able to create content for you. Our ability to have these chats, have these conversations, pay for the studio comes from having incredible sponsors who've joined us and are willing to, to have faith in us and, and let us uh, let us tell their story as well. So I have sponsors so you can help them. I help you tell you our story. If you'll support our sponsors, it would mean the world to me. With that, have a great week. We'll see you next week.